Gold? Who sees gold? I see nothing but air. Hello, and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. I'm Austin Knight, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Matthew Howes-Barbie. Matt, how's it going? It's going really well. Um, Great to be back behind a microphone with your face on my laptop screen. Something (laughs) that uh, will not be happening next week as we meet in person uh, at the birthplace of the podcast, right? Back in Boston. Yes, we are... Going back to Boston, we'll be recording in person. We've got some pretty cool stuff lined up uh, over the course of next week. And we've also got some awesome guests on the way, not the least of which is Greg Freeman, the CTO of iFunded, a company based in Berlin, who you got to speak to just recently. I did. It was an eye-opening, interesting, uh, thought-provoking interview. Greg has some really interesting uh, opinions, uh, somewhat controversial when you just read them out. Uh, One of the things that I'm looking forward to diving into is Greg's opinion on why uh, decentralization is not the goal of security tokens, Uh, not something that we hear in the cryptocurrency space very often, right? (laughs) Yeah, quite the controversial take. Um, He has an interesting point of view. I'm interested to hear what our listeners think of it as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure Twitter will tell us if they if they disagree with us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um yeah, no, it was a it was it was a really fun interview. We dig into a lot of things uh that actually come back to some of the previous guests, some of the previous companies we've spoke to, uh the likes of if any of our listeners was were tuned in way back in series one uh when we were slightly less polished than we are now not to say that we are too polished right now either uh but uh, we spoke to the ceo over at uh, bitbond um doing somewhat comparable stuff in the space uh they're also based in berlin near i funded uh we spoke to andrew keys from consensus and talked a lot about tokenization something we dig into in a very different angle with greg so Lots and lots of good, interesting stuff. Security tokens coming up again, uh, a topic that I'm really interested in. I know you are as well, Austin, and something that we've been talking quite a lot about with our guests. Yes, absolutely. So with that said, let's roll right into the interview with Greg Freeman from iFunded. Hey, Greg, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's great. So you're the CTO of iFunded. Uh, you're based over in Berlin. It seems like you've been there about just under a year now. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, it's just been just under a year now. Okay. And you were when we were talking prior to this, you, you were mentioning to me that a lot of your time prior to this was spent in ad tech. Why don't you talk a little bit about your journey into the, the wonderful world of, of blockchain and where you are now? Sure. I've been involved for ad tech, uh, in ad tech for a big chunk of my career. I became a little bit disillusioned with it just be, because of the you know the privacy violations and the tracking and things like that but from a from a technology point of view it's a very interesting field you know large distributed systems lots of requests so that part is very very interesting i've been involved or aware of cryptocurrency since 2014 the only thing that's really new in in cryptocurrency the real big breakthrough was 
the you know the trustless environment for coming to consensus but a lot of the other things like the cryptography the distributed systems and even consensus itself existed mm-hmm. in you know database systems and things like that before so I, I found it very very interesting uh, i was never really interested in cryptocurrency as money but when ethereum came out with smart contracts i was like this is the thing this is the future <laughs> and we investigated a lot to, to see how we could apply that to ad tech systems. It was really the, the Brave browser that really got me to switch because it made me realize that, you know, instead of trying to fix a broken system, let's just blow it up and do it right the first time. Yeah. So that, that's a really great project and got me to, to jump on board. And then from there, it was like, well, what else can we really do? And of course, that led me to, to finance and, you know, digital assets, digital securities and that led me to looking and, and joining up with iFunded, who are doing some very exciting things in that space. Yeah. So why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of, of how iFunded works and and also where blockchain fits into into all of this? Sure. So the company started in 2015. They are a real estate crowdfunding platform. So a very simple example is if a real estate developer needs a loan to build a building or to renovate a building, they can go to a bank or they can get a better deal through iFunded. If you go to a bank, they have uh, you know more strict requirements. You may need to put collateral up and things like that. Uh, so that's why you know, alternate financing is popular. And we have all of the legal and financial structures in place to, to handle that and then to also make it available to investors. So uh, investors don't really get good savings rates in, in bank accounts or anything like that these days. Mm. Investing in our platform, they get access to real estate deals that have been vetted by real estate experts. They get easy diversification. And of course, the whole platform is regulated by financial authorities. In Germany, it's Barfin. Right. Okay. I see. So, it, I mean, we, we spoke about this earlier, but we had the, the CEO of Bitbond on the podcast a couple of seasons ago now. This was, and I think they, they're also Germany-based. They focus on bonds and loans for small businesses. Is it somewhat somewhat similar to that kind of business model, but for more the real estate development side of things? Yeah, it is. And there's uh, you could apply this to any type of bond or, or asset, you know, real estate is one, small business loans is another, and there's, there's many other examples as well. So why, why real estate? Well, real estate traditionally is, you know, it has different properties for, you know, for diversification purposes. You know, if you're investing in stocks or something like that, real estate tends to behave in different ways, and that's what investors are looking for. The problem with that is, it's usually an area that requires a lot of capital to get started. Mm. And when you do make those investments, it's a very illiquid investment as well. And they're the types of challenges that we're looking to solve with uh, not only a, a digital investment platform, but with blockchain technology as well. Got it. Okay. So if I'm if I'm an, on the investor side, it seems like we've got a marketplace here, right? Like if I want to actually go and borrow money, I, I can come in as a borrower. And as an investor, I can also kind of fund some of that borrowing. And I'm assuming you're leveraging security tokens as a as a function for, for the investment. What, am I correct in that? Well, that's where we're moving towards. That's where the industry is definitely moving towards. These platforms today, they have 
financial structures in place to create bonds and other types of uh, you know financial products like subordinated loans or loan receivables and we probably don't need to you know get into that too much <laughs> but that's how it's done today and of course you can you know issue securities in the forms of of bonds and they can be tradable the problem with that is they might not be very liquid or if you, right. if you can sell them, maybe you can sell them in a very walled ecosystem, which is other customers of the same company, or maybe on a, a stock exchange. But it's definitely not a, a global uh, liquidity pool, let's put it that way. Yeah, and I, I imagine a lot of that happens on things like the secondary market, and that's quite a daunting experience for a lot of people as well, and somewhat of a, a Wild West in places at times. It's slow, very high fees. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you've heard this all the time on your podcast, I'm sure, but that's why a lot of people are excited about, you know, smart contracts and blockchain and to, to make these things faster and, and cheaper and easier. And that's definitely really important. That can bring cost savings to businesses like ours, but it doesn't necessarily get investors excited. What gets investors excited is having a global liquidity pool where it's so easy to move in and out of investments or back to money based on changing financial needs. And it doesn't really matter what that asset is. If it's real estate, you know, it could be something else. I mean, this is why people are so excited about security tokens and and, and security token standards and getting Mm -hmm. all of this up and running. Right. And um, you mentioned that this is where the platform's moving towards. Mm-hmm. And right now, I'm assuming you're in kind of somewhat of a transition stage as you, you build out the technology. It, it, am I right in thinking that? Well, we've built our security tokens. We've had the smart contracts ordered to buy consensus. That's all ready to go. Great. What a lot of people don't see in this space. So I'm, I'm, keep in mind, I'm talking about security tokens here. So a, a lot of the topics that maybe you've covered in the past you can talk about them as security tokens, but we might be talking about autonomous organization or something like that or some kind of digital mm-hmm. asset. So when we're talking about these types of uh, regulated securities, like regulated uh, securities, you can't. it's not just a matter of technology. Technology is just one pillar, and the technology is far ahead of the other pillars that are just important, just as important, which is, of course, the regulation and also investor confidence and the ecosystem, right? You need exchanges, you need custody solutions, you need wallets, and this is what we're all working towards at the moment. Technically, I think that people understand what it can do and where we need to go. Got it. So in the case of, uh, I know from Bitbond, they were using Stellar as a function for their security token and you very much seem to be a proponent of the ethereum platform is that a technology that you're going to be leveraging here i am and i do think ethereum is the the best platform for uh security tokens for for a lot of reasons the first one being that it it has a history of open standards you know i i do believe that open standards are a must for open finance otherwise how is anyone going to know what to build to work with everybody else? We're all just going to be uh, duplicating efforts and things like that. So that's a big one. The other reason for Ethereum is I've seen some studies and I'm quite happy to, we can maybe share them in your references for the podcast, Definitely. but uh, public contributions to Ethereum code base is, is something like you know, 
of all contributions when you compare it to other solutions. And if you look at, you know, Ethereum is way out there as number one, and it's, I think, four times bigger than, than Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's not even used for what we're talking about here. So when you look at all of the other platforms, they're a tiny little piece on the left side of the graph. And there's a lot of precedent in the technology space that developer adoption rules. If you go back and I, I like to use the example of Windows Phone by Microsoft. By the way, Microsoft has made a fantastic turnaround in, in recent uh, recent times. It's it's, it's quite it's amazing. Sexy again. It's it, unbelievable. It's quite <laughs> it's quite amazing what they've done. If I was doing an MBA in school, I would want to study that transformation and who's responsible for it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I saw an article the other day that said that on, on Azure, their, their cloud service, Linux is the majority operating system on a Windows cloud platform. <laughs> and they were, they were publishing that and they were proud of it. I, I just, I can't yeah. believe it. <laughs> but, you, know, you know, but if we go back to 2007, you know, not even Microsoft with billions of dollars in marketing spend and acquiring Nokia for even more billions could get their phone platform off the ground because no one would develop for it. And Ethereum definitely doesn't have that problem. They have known and well understood problems. And I think they have solutions and they have the developer adoption and, and velocity, to, velocity to overcome those problems by the time that it matters. So it seems like, from to use your analogy, that Ethereum is very much the uh, the Apple in this uh, <laughs> in this situation. <laughs> Definitely, and it's also the it's only the it's the only blockchain that has a smart contract platform where you can pretty much do anything in that smart contract. Uh, it's a Turing complete, as what they say. Mm -hmm. You know, the Stellar blockchain. While very good, you can definitely do more simplified tokens, and it has a lot of great features. You can't do all of the things on Stellar that you can do in Ethereum. Yeah, and it seems like the points that you're making, Greg, are, are very much reflected by also just the investment that's going into the Ethereum ecosystem. I mean, we've spoken to a number of companies in the space, one huge company being Consensus uh, mm -hmm. on the podcast. I mean, just the sheer amount of investment that goes in from like that single company into developing and nurturing the Ethereum ecosystem I would hazard a guess will probably dwarf all investment that goes into the likes of Stellar and Co., albeit great projects in their own. But there seems to be so many individual companies, private companies that are set up that are very much focused on developing, building, and collaborating on, on Ethereum. And it seems like that's also why we're seeing so many of these standards being shared across other companies and other technology platforms. Absolutely. And you know, as a CTO, when you're interviewing people to hire developers and whatnot, when they list blockchain developer on their CV, what they really mean is Ethereum developer or Solidity, Solidity developer. Solidity, yeah. So that can't be understated in, in its importance. And then that's why we chose to use Ethereum. Uh, I think Ethereum has a good history of standards. You know, standards don't have to be complicated. ERC-20 right. is, I think, six methods. And it's been responsible for, for huge growth uh, in the ecosystem. So uh, we, I think we need similar standards for, for security tokens. I've seen other people argue that we should have no standards and essentially we should just, people should go and build whatever they want and may the best person win. I think that's a little uh, short-sighted. Uh, if mm -hmm. you look back, let's look back to the 2000s where you know the internet was really 
taking off. I mean, the reason why that was able to happen is that all of the underlying technology was open standards. So when you look at HTTP or even HTML or DNS, like anyone could learn those technologies and then they could get online and uh, contribute to that ecosystem. And it's through those open standards that companies like, you know, Apple and uh, not Apple, but Google and YouTube and Facebook were even able to compete with these existing corporations. If there was some big gate where they had, you know, licensing fees or they had to get into some private ecosystem to get online, maybe they wouldn't have been able to do so. You know, on a side note, they they got in, they established their dominance, and then they do everything they can these days to make sure no one else can do the same to them. But that's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a different side. But those open standards allow that to happen. And I want to make sure that happens definitely in the finance space. You know, there's, there's good examples where it's not as important in some private blockchain cases. But when it comes to finance, I think finance touches all of us. We all need to be able to send money. And if there isn't open standards, if that's not well understood, if there's gatekeepers and and people who decide who can be on the network or not, then there will be little space for innovation. Yeah, and I I think that's a really great point. And I'm definitely a huge proponent of of standards, especially with a lot of the work that Ethereum are doing. But I think it's also, you've got like this cross-compatibility piece, this adoption piece, but I think also it just builds a huge amount of trust, right? Like if you're going into and trying to get more of the traditional financial services sector, for example, to adopt some of these newer technologies, they're much more likely to do it when everyone is using the same standard and they're having to take less and less risks. I think ERC-20, the, the standard was a huge contributing factor to the 2017 like ICO boom that happened just because of the ease and ability for companies to, to launch some of these. Now, whether that was a good thing or a bad thing is a different <laughs> different piece, but I think that making it as easy as possible to both build and develop and build trust with these uh, standards is is only going to benefit things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what you were just saying with these ERC-20 tokens and these new founders, you know, getting $50 million and never having, have no idea what to do with it and things like that. That's where, you know, regulated digital securities come in or regulated security tokens. And they are, they are different from from these uh, these types of things you know investors have protections but they also come with other things that people need to consider as well when you have a regulated security there has to be at least some centralized control somewhere and for example everyone who invests in a security they have to be known somewhat you need you need to know who those people are you can't hold a security as an anonymous person in addition there, there could be things like an inheritance, there could be a, a court order or something like that, where no financial regulator is going to sanction that security if we have to take a vote from our token holders if we're going to comply with the law or not. <laughs> yeah, I can see that that could cause some slight problems. On that note, how do you, how do you think about this with, I guess one of the both the benefits uh, of security tokens, at least in my mind, but also one of the things that somewhat contradicts some of the pieces that many of the blockchain adopting investment platforms are proponents of, which is kind of financial inclusion. Because 
ultimately with a security token, you still will have to be like an accredited investor in the US to participate, things like that. So you still do need to have a certain level of wealth. I think that yes, protects investors to a to a level, but it still doesn't necessarily solve for giving everyone access, right, to, to financial opportunities. How do you how do you balance that that out? Well there's a few things. So as you know, iFund is based in Berlin and I do consider Europe to be leading the pack on this a little bit. And I think the reason why this is is just the way that the EU is set up. So for example, when you're going to issue some kind of security you have to get an approved prospectus from a uh, from a financial regulator. So the way that it works in Europe is that if one of the countries approves that prospectus, then you're actually able to use that to uh, you know do your issuing. So for example, if Switzerland approved a prospectus or Luxembourg approved a prospectus, you'd be able to offer that to retail investors in uh, or private investors, not accredited investors in mm. uh, in Germany for example, if it was approved for that for that use. So what it does is it makes these agencies kind of get up and pay attention much sooner. They hire the experts they need to make informed decisions. And of course, they're still protecting investors, but they're incentivized to move a little bit. You know, in the US with the SEC, it, they either approve you or they don't. And if they don't, well, tough luck. <laughs> so, so there's that aspect. But when it comes to protecting private investors, that's the whole point of regulation. So when you own an ERC-20 token, if you lose your private key, it's like, well, sorry, you lost your investment. That's just not going to fly with a security. It's just not going to work. And, and this is what I was talking about before. So we use the ERC-1400 standard as a base for our security token. And one of the features that it has in that standard is the ability to cancel and reissue tokens. So that's a very a very powerful feature to have on a smart contract. And it's probably raising the ears of people who coming from the you know decentralized, let's get rid of all this stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I'm very pragmatic. So what, what happens is that on these smart contracts, there's, let's say, methods that require more permission to access. And then, of course, the private keys that control those methods are, need to be very, very, very secure. So if, if, you're a, if you're an informed cryptocurrency investor, you probably have a hardware wallet, like a Ledger Nano mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's definitely the best thing that you can do as a as a private investor in cryptocurrency. For protecting these types of smart contracts, these security token contracts, not so much because it's still a single point of failure. You need to have physical access to it. And you would be you could be someone inside the company goes rogue against you that's and there's a precedent of, of doing this, a lot of hacking and attacks happen from inside the company, then that could be a real problem for you. So we use custody solutions to protect these contracts. Essentially, it requires, some people call it multi-computation, multi-signature, multiple approvals, and there's a whole system, and there is some slight differences, but not important for this kind of discussion, but one person cannot go rogue and take over the contract and take everyone's tokens and things like that. Uh, It requires a, a group of people to agree to do those types of transactions. So security tokens have those types of functions to protect investors so that even if you lost your entire private key, completely lost, even if you did everything that you can, you still have the ability to retake ownership of your tokens because you've also done a KYC process to even hold those tokens in the first place so that we, everyone know, we know who you are, you can prove that you're the owner of these tokens and you can get them returned to you. 
So that's an example of what needs to be there in a regulated security. So ultimately, there's some some level here where you are pretty much advocating for a, a level of centralization in some respects for for these security tokens. I'm, I'm right in saying that? Yes, for but we should clarify like security tokens, I think for for decentralized organizations or other digital assets, I mean, I think it's fine. You can you can come up with an on-chain governance model that that can work there. But for for tokens, security tokens that represent securities, you need to have this extra level of let's say investor protection. And as an investor, if you don't trust the issuer, well just don't invest in the first place. So you mm. get you get all of these uh, you get these benefits of of protection in in response to that. And also people need to understand that this is actually very good for the Ethereum network because this is one of the things that will give Ethereum real utility value and not speculative value. Ha- having these things come through the platform, it's a very good thing that these smart contracts for these uh, security tokens for securities run on top of a decentralized network because no one can control who can make transactions. You know, As long as you can pay the gas costs, you can go on the network because I wouldn't trust any any private network or any group of banks or anyone in the world to run this core infrastructure. But I would trust Ethereum simply because of those those qualities. Got it. Right. So in this respect, like I guess to pull at this thread a little bit further, in relation to actually using, say, like private versus public blockchains in this respect. So are we talking about here, just so I can definitely clarify, like when you're if this all being built, obviously, on top of the, the, the public Ethereum blockchain, you're saying then you would also see a place for like private blockchains on top of that, that a lot of this can be facilitated through? I believe all the settlement, the final settlement needs to happen on the public blockchain with open okay. standards so that anyone can participate. If certain people wanted to run their own private networks, maybe they're using Quorum by JP Morgan, which is kind of an enterprise chain, or any of the other private networks. There's the capability to do bridge or token swaps across blockchains or whatnot, or they could do that for privacy reasons. So you you could run your own private Ethereum network, you could do private transactions, you could do faster transactions, as long as you settle back to the public chain at specific times, that's the way it works. But on the public chain, with some of these uh, smart contracts that represent real securities, there does have to be some additional protections in place for in, in investors in order for them to be approved as securities under any current laws, but also for investor confidence. Like if you want to see wide-scale adoption, real utility of, of Ethereum and, and people using these tokens, you need to be able to provide them some protections that says that, hey, if you lose your private key or something like that, we still can help you get access to your investment or restore your investment. And I also believe that for Ethereum, it's really important that you have a source of truth on the chain. So right. anytime that anyone does one of these cancels and reissues, right, it's published on chain. No one's just going to be able to start taking people's tokens and there's no record of it, right? And because it's a regulated security, that means that People aren't just going to get away with that. There's people that you can go to and you can get that sorted out, unlike in the current Wild West that we have. So mm. I, I see a world where there's a mix of everything. 
I have no problem with ERC20 tokens. I have no problem with even decentralized governance where it makes sense. And I also see that these security tokens for real securities can exist as well, just with some small changes. Everyone works together nicely. Yeah, and it seems like security tokens in particular are like the hot topic right now and are seeing a lot of preference from an investment point of view, especially on like the technology level. One thing, uh, we've probably got just about time for one one last question that I wanted to, to pose to you, Greg, because I think we, we've touched on a number of really interesting pieces. But one other aspect that or discussion point that's been coming up a lot around security tokens have been security token offerings, right? Like we touched on Bitbond earlier. They, I think they're still in the process of, a, of an STO that they've been launching. Is this something that you guys at iFunded will be pursuing? Do you have any particular opinions on STOs for good or bad? What, what are your thoughts there? We're ready to do an STO, but we're also waiting for the right time. As I said before, the technology is well understood. It's the regulation, investor confidence, and most importantly, the secondary market that needs to be there. If you're doing an STO today, of course, you can do a media release and it looks quite nice. And you are definitely removing some intermediaries depending on the financial product that you're that you're issuing, of course. But as I said before, what investors really care about, what's going to get them falling over them uh, falling over each other to come and invest in your product is is a great asset and also the knowledge that they can easily get liquidity on that investment if they need to. And that's not there yet. A lot of people are working very, very hard on it. And I think we'll see some movement on that early next year. But it, then once that happens you expect to see so many press releases on STOs that you'll just become blind to it. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much, Greg. Greg, before we, we jump out, where can our listeners hear more about and stay up to date on, on what's going on with iFunded and, and what you're doing? What's the best place to do that? The best place is at our website. So it's ifunded.de. It's a German extension. We also have iestate.de. And then my email is greg.freeman at ifunded.de if you have any comments or questions. Okay, great. Well, I'm sure you're going to have a flood of emails of people very pro decentralization coming at you after this one. <laughs> Enjoy. We'll make sure we share out a load of this in the show notes. Once again, Greg, thanks so much for joining the podcast. It's been a great discussion. All right. Thanks. I enjoyed being here. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation to myself and Matt, give us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. We really appreciate that. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing. And you can follow us on Twitter at thecoinoffering, as well as email us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com if you'd like to get in touch. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.